I have tried to lead and interact with the same integrity and the same generosity that I have received. And that to me has felt the greatest. Hello, you lovely humans. Welcome to the Live Outrageously with Lady Grey podcast. I'm your hostess, Lady Grey, and I have had the great honor to interview a number of super inspiring world changers about how they live outrageously. So we're going to share about how they push boundaries, they fight for change, and how they seriously shake up the status quo. We have a great episode for you today with one of my favorite human beings on this earth, the incomparable Ayadeli Cassell. Hailed by the legendary hoofer Gregory Hines as one of the top young tap dancers in the world, and by the New York Times as a tap dancer of unquestionable radiance and one of the biggest breakout stars of 2019. Ayadeli is an internationally renowned artist and was a fellow at the Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study at Harvard University. Her origins in theater and her love for storytelling and tap dance have significantly contributed to her work, which is rooted in the expression of identity, culture, language, and communication. Ayadeli's commitment to the personal development of young people throughout her career landed her the role of Director of Graduate Programs for a Broader Way Foundation, where she currently mentors young women in New York City. Welcome, 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 Ayadeli. It's so great to have you on the show. Thank you for the invitation. I'm excited to get into this conversation. Yeah, it's such an honor to have you and to get to dialogue with you about your outrageous journey. I would love to kick this off by having you talk a little bit about what you think the proudest moments or favorite memories or your biggest accomplishments on this outrageous journey might have been. Mm, I love that question. And and I imagine that that's a question that sort of changes the more, you know, the more you live your life. And I think because of that, I would say that the most recent proudest moment would be uh, being named a Radcliffe Fellow at Harvard University this last academic year. I was really proud of that. I went to NYU Tisch for acting and I like almost finished. I actually started dancing professionally like the last year and then I got lured away and I did that leave of absence thing and sort of never returned. And I always felt really regretful because, you know, I was the first person to go to college in my family and, you know, always considered myself a great student. So even though I've like led this really amazing career, I feel like I've always felt just regretful of not finishing. And so to apply to one of the best universities in the world and then to get accepted and to be supported in the way that I was during that fellowship year as a tap dancer, as an artist, as a Black and Puerto Rican woman, I was super, super, super proud of that. So huge honor. And as an artist, it feels like, wow, what a luxury (laughs) to have Mm -hmm. people support you while you're working on your craft. Mm -hmm. It really was. I mean, it was the first time in my entire artistic life and career, which I'm pretty proud to say that at this point is over 20 years. The first time that I was afforded the opportunity to work with that kind of support, not just financial, which is huge in and of itself, but to have those resources uh, available and to be surrounded by brilliant, brilliant, brilliant minds, you know, in all fields and all walks of life like that. Wow. It's a community that I definitely miss. That's so inspiring. I feel like there's a lot of full circle in your life that I've been 
uh, able to witness has been lovely because I've known you for quite some time now. But I think if I step back from it, mentoring looks like it's a theme in your life. Having people that are your mentors and then passing that on and paying it forward. In terms of mentoring, not just with Harvard and and that beautiful experience that you had, but uh, with the TAP community in general, who are the key mentors in your life that you kind of credit as having influenced you? I love that question because I always enjoy the opportunity to give people their flowers, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) For me, golly, I feel so lucky. I think I've had such great teachers. Like I remember when I was 15 and I was just wanting to to be a performer and, and I went to this organization called Mind Builders Creative Arts Center. And, and I remember my teachers there who very definitively saw this spark in me and really encouraged me. And so I think about Hilda Willis and Melveda Hughes when I was young. As a tap dancer, I feel like I was mentored by a peer, somebody who was actually younger than me, Bakari Wilder, who was a year younger than me when I met him. When I was 20, he was 19, something like that. He really guided me very generously and introduced me to this world of tap dancing that I had been really previously super unaware of. I think about him as being a mentor. I think about Ted Lewis Levy being a huge mentor of mine mm-hmm. when he was tasked with training young people to enter Bringing the Noise, Bringing the Funk. He really, he saw that spark in me as well and wanted to support that and encourage that and to develop that. And I also think about Gregory Hines, who became a mentor of mine. I always speak of him because I think mentorship isn't only about the craft that you are learning. I think it's about a way of life and how people are as human beings. And so with Gregory, I feel like one of the things that I learned from him the most, aside from you know studying his way of dancing, was mm-hmm. really who he was as a person and, and how yeah led so generously. And he didn't only do it with me, but I saw him do it with so many people. And so I I consider him a huge mentor of mine. And, you know, and as I get older, I feel like, no, I consider Diane Walker a mentor. I don't know. There's just, there's just so, there's there's many people. Long list. (laughs) But I think it's important to acknowledge them. Like we don't only make it on our own. I think we always have assistance and guidance. Yeah, it's fascinating. So I know Ted fairly well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, so... Mm -hmm. We're sort of kindred spirits in that way. But I also had the opportunity to take from him when I was younger and to watch Noise Funk unfold. And I think there are a lot of different things that happened with that show. Mm -hmm. It was fascinating to see this really, really new perspective on the narrative of TAP, Mm -hmm. but also to see the audiences. So I was directing Footprints TAP Ensemble at the time. Mm -hmm. and took all of them to go see the show. And the audience was predominantly Black. And Mm -hmm. their little little eyes were suddenly opened. (laughs) You know, it was like this just really lovely experience for them that made them realize that they were a part of something Mm. that perhaps they hadn't realized the full breadth and depth of it because they had had a limited experience. Mm. So so both that and then the fact that there were no women in the cast. Mm. Those two things really struck me as key to that experience that I had with that show. So I'm curious what your perspective is. I'm sure that you have a unique one. My perspective on the fact that there were no women um, dancers in the show. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember feeling 
really disappointed and anxious and like, uh, yeah, I guess upset that it didn't seem like I would even have a chance at being a part of something that I knew that I could deliver on. Sure. And yet it's strange because at the same time, I wasn't discouraged. It was just inspiring to know that something existed in what I was interested in, tap dancing, theater. I was an acting major at NYU. So it was like both worlds sort of colliding and exploding. And also the fact that it was young people of color. All of those things were like all of these amazing carrots being dangled in front of my face. And so, yeah, it was disappointing to know that it didn't seem like there was an opening, but at the same time, I wasn't discouraged. I, I don't know. There was something in me even then that felt like if I could just focus on studying and learning this and really getting my stuff together so that if the opportunity ever presents itself, I'll make a way. And so, and I felt that, you know, being let into Funk U, being invited in kind of was a step in the, in the great direction because I felt the needle moving in some way. As, as a woman of white privilege Mm -hmm. uh, and a teacher of a bunch of young children who hadn't been exposed to a whole lot, Mm -hmm. I was just very aware of the breadth and depth of the performance and the Mm -hmm. experience, the African-American narrative that they were experiencing for the first time. So obviously it was a step forward, right? Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, it was a great moment for Mm -hmm. a lot of different reasons. I just was wondering, you know, if you had anything to add to that uh, from your perspective. It it really was. I mean, and this is the nineties, you know, I mean, and we know that like, you know, everybody talks about diversity and inclusion and equity Mm -hmm. in 2020, but you know, nobody was really, really addressing those things in a public way or <laughs> in any way that like amounted to action back then, you know, it was kind of like, well, if the opportunity presents itself and you happen to be at the right place at the right time, then, you know, maybe just maybe, sure. you, can you know, that, but that was the reality <laughs> back then. So I remember the first time I saw Noise Funk at the public theater, it was like young black men being really authentic and raw and just full of talent and really being fully expressed. And that was something that I didn't think was possible. I remember working and training with with material that I felt like nobody was ever going to cast me in. Classic plays, which I mean, every actor should, and it's part of the legacy of theater. But I was like, who's going to see me as Juliet? Who's going to see me as a Sarah or as a, you know what I mean? as a Or whatever. Like, I just didn't feel like that was possible. So to see them was completely groundbreaking. And then also to have the story of Black people in this country be told, you know, really unapologetically and quite brilliantly. (laughs) I I thought that was like, you know, it was really groundbreaking and definitely a game changer. And that show remains a masterpiece. Absolutely. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you there. So I know you started dancing with the Knots Mm -hmm. and you were the only woman in that company. Yeah. So you were dancing with heavy hitters. <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. And what was your experience as a woman? Have you struggled with having to be kind of in a man's world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I guess I will say this. I feel like I was perfectly poised to be in the midst of that energy because mm-hmm. I grew up in the Bronx and, you know, we do have an edge. And then I also like, <laughs> I'm going to tell you this story. My teachers, when I was in elementary school, they used to call me Muhammad Ali 
because I was I would get into so many physical fights, mostly with boys and, and no. <laughs> that my grandparents were constantly being called in and they were like, she is just out of control. And so I always had this sort of like fight or flight thing in me and I always opted to fight. So for me, even though going back to the to what we talked about before, okay, there are no women here. What do I do? I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm going to put myself in the circle with the guys who are being, who are very confident, who are very forward presenting in what they want to say on the floor. And I'm like, I can do that. Like anything you can do, I can do better. Like, I just felt like, I, I just felt like, no, I'm going to do this. So it, it makes sense to me that when I brought that kind of energy that Savion was like, who is this person? And then yeah, come in, let's start this group and you're going to be in. Yeah. I was so proud, but I was just honored. I was really honored because they were peers that I really looked up to. I thought they were just fabulous. And so my experience, I feel like I was just one of them. And also at the same time, I remember feeling like an anomaly. After our performances, audience members would come up to me and be like, I didn't even know women tap dance. Girl, you were so good. Wow. You did everything they could do. Whoa. You were just keeping up with them. Like they thought that I was like a unicorn. (laughs) And I just also remember thinking like, that's so weird because I know I'm not the only woman who's ever like put shoes on. I remember having to sort of educate people a lot about the fact that yes, women dance. (laughs) Yes, we can tap dance just as well. I didn't necessarily feel like I have to dance like a girl or or dress like a man. I didn't have that. I just was kind of myself. I remember that, that thing coming more into play. The more I started dancing, I remember Henry Letang, um, you know, Dr. Henry Letang, let me give him Mm -hmm. his his title. Uh, that, you know, he would always say to me, when you go dance in heels, you know, when you put on some heels. And I was like, why is he so obsessed? And every time I would see him, he'd say, when are you going to dance in heels? You know? Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, and I, yeah, I just didn't know what the obsession was with that. And, and then he actually got me in heels when we did Bojangles uh, for Showtime, where Gregory Hines was playing Bojangles and we were um, in a few scenes in that film. Um, and I had to wear, cause it was, you know, it was a, of the time. Right. <laughs> I remember I came out of the trailer and I had fishnet stockings and like, and like the heels, the character shoes and like feather, a feather boa. And I just remember, uh, and like a leotard, like just crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and Gregory goes, Ayadele. He's like, whoa, we have to take a picture of this. <laughs> Observe this moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that was a great experience. But um, I actually started to dance in heels as a statement to, so that people understood that just because you wear character shoes doesn't mean that your skills diminish or that you're not able to do certain things. And so I actually did it as a challenge. Yep. Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, and then, you know, it's, it's so funny, but I went one rehearsal years later, I didn't have my heels. I just had some flats in the car and I was like, oh shoot. And I put on the Oxfords and I was like, I am never going back. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was like, what have I been doing this whole time? <laughs> oh my God. Rhythm turns. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh-huh. I hear you. I feel that. Yeah. Well, so in this same vein, we talked about mentors and we talked about people not realizing that there are women who tap Mm -hmm. dance Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there's a big chapter or three missing from this narrative about tap. Mm -hmm. We see a little bit on the silver screen, uh, Ginger and and Ruby and all of these fantastic dancers who Mm -hmm. made it into the movies. But one of the things that I know you've done a lot of research in is women who have come before that should be part of the list of hoofers that mm-hmm. shaped our art form. Yeah. So how did how did you get into researching that? 
Yeah, I mean, and specifically we can name it. I was really interested in naming Black women tap dancers who I knew were there um, because I, I had known about Ginger Rogers the first time I really recognized tap dancing as something that was intriguing was watching Ginger and Fred. And I knew about Eleanor Powell and Ruby Keeler. But when you are beginning your foray into learning about real tap history, the men were very easily accessible. So we, you know, we learned about Baby Lawrence and Sammy Davis Jr. and Bill Robinson and John Bubbles and Chuck Green and Lon Chaney. Like the first time I started to really wonder, I remember Ted showed us Heidi Ho, which was the film that uh, with the Miller brothers and Lois. And that was the first time that I saw a black woman tap dancer killing it for people listening. You have to go see the clip, watch the clip. Lois Bright, right? Lois Bright. And I'll I'll tell you about Lois Bright because it says the Miller brother and Lois. That's the credits that are in that film. And so Uh, we knew her as Lois. We did not know her as Lois Bright. She's incredible. Why aren't we speaking about her? Why isn't she in the list of names that is like rolling off people's tongues? And I remember going to one of the jam sessions and at the end of it, I was like, Buster, Buster, do you know uh, Lois from the Miller brothers and Lois? And he, he was like, Lois Bright? Yeah, of course, Leno Lois, like that. And that was the first time that I heard her last name. And then, of course, you know, I was young and we were very busy because, you know, we were tr- we were traveling and touring so often that it was kind of little time to do anything else. But I did a one woman show at Joe's Pub. And right around this time, I was, I was really interested in figuring out who else was out there, because if there was Lois, that means that there were other people. Mm-hmm. So then I found the copy of The Village Voice, which had come out at that point, like months, months, months prior. And on the cover... Of the with my picture underneath my feet, it says the hidden history of black women in tap dance. No way! Oh my gosh! And I was like, oh, what? And so I I opened up the article and I really read it, and that's when I saw Jenny Lagan, and it and this whole world opened up to me. And I remember I called the paper, I called the Village Voice, I got the number of the the author, and the author told me Jenny was still alive. And I was like, what? She's still alive? I said, can. Can you give me her number? She's like, she was like, she would love to hear from you. And she gave me Jenny's number. And I remember calling Jenny, who was living in Canada at the time. And she picked up the phone and I was like, Jenny, you know, oh my God, like, you know, my name's Ayadeli and I'm a tap dancer and I'm dancing with Savion in New York City. And I just found out about you. Like, you know, I just was like sounding like this. And, <laughs> and the first thing she said to me, and I'm not joking. The first thing she said to me, I'll never forget it was, oh my, I thought they had forgotten me. That was the oh. first thing she said. And oh, that's heartbreaking. Um, it was, yeah, it was heartbreaking. And, and, and at the time I was just like, but I'm here. Can I come over and see you? Like, it was like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I don't know. From there, like I started to really study and I, I got a hold of this dissertation um, written by Cheryl Willis. And I just couldn't believe a, how thick the manuscript was, her dissertation about all of these women. That's the first time that I saw Louise Madison, like being mentioned and Juanita Pitts and, you know, Ludie Jones, even, even though there was probably a clip or two, but it was the first time I, I knew that there was a whole plethora of women, Black yeah. women who were doing it, who were really doing it and really trying to make a way and a pathway for themselves, but for women, for women and for Black women. And, and I used to feel so guilty, you know, I felt like I'd had an easier way. And so, you know, at a certain point, I just decided that the way for me to change that instead of feeling guilt is to just always speak their names. And so for me, I always bring them into all of my experiences because I just feel like it's impossible. If you're looking at me and appreciating me, then you have to know who they were. I love that. I absolutely love the place for them in today's conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. I know as a teacher, because I've taught for 
30 years, <laughs> which wow, is yeah. a little hard to say out loud. But yeah, as a teacher, it is so important to me to amplify the things that students need to hear to fully grasp the entire evolution mm-hmm. of the story, whether it's race or gender or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. These sort of one-sided presentations of art mm-hmm. don't capture the full human experience and and they rob our young people <laughs> uh, and our new artists coming up mm-hmm. of the ability to identify with people who have come before them. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I think that by caring and honoring someone else's existence, I do think that you really learn to care about your own. When I think about all of the hours, the thousands of hours that I have put into learning how to do this dance and and, and the journey of that and the struggles of learning and also the struggles of having to have a career in it and the struggles of dealing with whatever sexism, racism, my own struggles of that. And then when I think about how as joyous as the journey can be, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of guts. And so when I think about my own version of it, then that means that they were dealing with 10 times worse. We weren't honoring their journey. The fact that we were ignoring them, I thought is incredibly disrespectful, number one. And it's a loss. It's a loss to them. It's a loss to us. And so I I think that to acknowledge and honor somebody's life, I think is really, really important. I do think that's important. You use your voice in this really bold and strong and outrageous way. So along the way, what steps do you feel like you have taken? We've talked about a lot of things here, but were there specific steps that you felt like you took to Mm -hmm. get to a place of leadership in this community? Mm, I don't, I don't think I took any particular steps. (laughs) Um, I don't, I mean, I feel like I was just, and I still am, I'm just trying to do the best that I can. I feel very fortunate to have come up in the time that I did because our leaders, there were super established leaders. I mean, golly, you can't get any more leaderly than Gregory Hines and right. <laughs> and Jimmy Slide and Diane Walker and you know and, and Buster. You know, like we had real reverence for them because we respected the journey that they had gone through. Right. I think what was really sort of challenging about losing just you know just them in general was also knowing that we were losing our elders. We think of them as the people who who know. <laughs> They're the wisdom, right? The wisdom, yeah. And so then you're like left with like these 30-something-year-olds. <laughs> and we're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to figure it out. And I think we that's what we've been trying to do. We, I think we all have. And when I say we, I'm talking about my peers who have undoubtedly become leaders in their communities and in this art form. I don't speak for them, but I'll speak for myself. I feel like I've been doing the best that I can. I also recognize that when it's time to step up, you step up. I have tried to lead and interact with the same integrity and the same generosity that I have received. And that to me has felt the greatest. So when I interact and always have interacted with young people, I think about Gregory and I think about how Gregory was with me. And I think about the joy. And I also feel like mama bear a little bit. I still feel like, okay, I don't want you to make the same mistakes that I made. I just have always tried to to lead with what I recognize as being beneficial for me and my spirit and my growth. I guess I would say recognize the greatness that has crossed your path and then do your best to live up to that. This is going back away, mm-hmm. but when I had you come out to Chicago 
uh, to work with Footprints mm-hmm. the first time. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was remarkable to me about you just as a human being mm-hmm. was by the end of dress rehearsal, mm-hmm. you knew 32 kids' names who had an English test the next day, mm-hmm. who was the littlest one, who was the most senior member. Like you knew those children. Mm-hmm. It was so meaningful to me to see another person invest in relationship with those young people. And I think even back then, you were already investing in these young people and making an impression. I bet if you ask any one of those dancers to this day, they will remember the way you related to them and the magic that you created with them. That makes me so happy to hear. I thank you for saying that because that, I don't know, it it makes me emotional to think about, you know, I think it's a beautiful thing to to walk through the world with generosity and instilling, especially in young kids. And you know what I mean? And so to me, that means a lot. That means a lot to me. Well, I know Gregory would be looking down with pride Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. That sort of segues into a conversation about a broader way and maybe Operation Tap. Sure. Just in terms of how you're mentoring outrageously now Mm -hmm. and reaching young people now. And a Broadway uh, Foundation is an organization that a nonprofit I work for, I'm the director of grad programs there. And basically it's a program that teaches leadership skills through the arts discipline to young women ages 10 through 16, I think. We're in our our 10th year. I actually began as a teacher. I was just teaching dance. I don't know. I think I've always had a soft spot for young people. And I think the idea of encouraging young girls to be fully expressed and to be unapologetic in their thoughts and to develop confidence in a world that is completely primed to keep their, the thumb on them, I think is a worthy venture. So I work most intensely with the, the leaders in training, which are their ages 14 through 16. And it's like boot camp for the real world. <laughs> so they go from this nice sort of future leader program, you know, four year experience. I kind of kind of whip them into shape because I want them to succeed. And I want them to understand what are the basics of being successful. Are you punctual? Do you show up? How fully do you show up in the room? You know, are you communicative? Are you organized? Are you forward in your ideas? Do you welcome other people's ideas? All of those things we try to really instill in them. We've had a lot of great success and um, I'm really proud of them. They are excellent, excellent, excellent human beings. And they're going to be amazing in their life. I'm so excited for them. Um, So that's what I do with them at a Broadway. And then Operation Tap. Yeah. Operation Tap obviously is a venture um, that I began with two of my colleagues, Anthony Maria Gerardo and Mike Minnery. And we came together to basically amplify tap education around the country and the world at a time when people weren't really going digital with tap classes. We really wanted to create a community and to shake things up. Our first year, we had these initiatives of writing to dance publications and saying, hey, why don't you put us on covers any with as much frequency as you do ballet dancers? Uh, right. You know, you know, we wanted to reach and give access for people who were maybe in the middle of the country or just in places where they didn't have access to either teachers who were really practicing this form intensely. And we wanted to give them access via lessons. To this day, we still give tons of free content that teachers and students alike can go and grab off the internet via our YouTube channel or our Facebook channel and Instagram channel. And we also have a paid subscription for those who want to like really go more in depth with each of us as teachers. I'm really proud of what we've created. I think that we filled a gap that I think was really sorely needed. I appreciate what you guys have done. It also 
provided some visibility mm. that I think was good for young people. It felt like it was accessible yeah. to a lot of kids who might not otherwise have access to uh, great tap teachers. You know, getting back to what you were saying about a broader way, mm-hmm. I had the honor of joining you last night and a bunch of other brilliant humans at a broader way. And something that I thought was really profound, somebody made the point of saying that amplifying women's voices mm-hmm. was a was a big theme. Yeah, well, that's a mission statement, amplifying the power of young women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that it's great to hear that you guys are doing this. You've mentioned helping these women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm future leaders, learning that they have an mm-hmm. important voice and giving up our chair at the table for them mm. so that they can be forward with their ideas and their creativity and their mm-hmm. art. In terms of your role in amplifying women's voices across the board, do you have mm-hmm. any kind of personal mission statement or something that isn't specific to a broader way, but is specific to you and your outrageous journey. I feel really drawn to honoring my experience and letting myself know that my life matters, that my journey matters. It's so easy to get lost in everything that's happening around us at any given time and any given moment. And I believe that I have seen people so easily discredit their successes. I feel like being alive <laughs> can be a struggle. <laughs> and I think, I think caring well for yourself, it takes intention. And so it's been a journey for me. I've come to the realization that my life matters. My life and experience matters. And because of that, I want everybody else to know that theirs does too. That they don't need to wait for some worthy wand, as my wife says, you know, why, you know, don't wait for the worthy wand from somebody else. Maybe that is part of my mission statement is letting people know that they have the absolute right to take up the space that they need to live with dignity and grace. And, you know, does that make sense? It absolutely does. And it's, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. way to honor other people and their stories, their life experiences. Everyone's mm-hmm. is completely different. I think it's a great way to lead. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really great way. It comes from a place of honoring yourself, but also selflessness. It's this beautiful mm-hmm. awareness of the people around mm-hmm. you also sharing in humanity. Yeah. <laughs> We're all in it together. We're all here together. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Well, normally I'd like mm-hmm. to ask everyone about one piece of, we'll call it Ayadeli's outrageous advice. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And if you were to speak to our audience who you know, mm-hmm. are aspiring world changers and leaders and people who want to live outside the box and push the envelope a little bit, mm-hmm. what is one piece of advice that you could give them that you think would help them live more outrageously? I'm going to go with first impulse here. Sure. And that is that I believe that we should 
always honor and follow our curiosity. That we follow the things that keep nudging at us to like look in this direction. Like, yes, I, I'm an accountant, but like, golly, I've always wanted to be a gardener. I mean, and it seems like polar opposites. We so often ignore the things that keep trying to get our attention. For me, and the reason I feel confident in saying that is because I went to school for acting. When I was nine years old, I said I was going to be an actress. That's what I wanted to do. And everything that I experienced and did from that, from nine years old on was like with the intention of becoming an actor. But if you had told me that tap dancing was going to be the thing that got me to see the world, that helped me to interact with so many other cultures, that allowed me to interact with young people and older people in a really meaningful way, that it was something that was going to sustain me either by teaching or performing, that I was going to make a living and literally feed myself and put a roof over my head as a tap dancer. I would have said like, what? You're kidding. I speak to so many people, young and older, who really have ignored the thing that they really want to do because they feel like it is not the right thing. You live outrageously by being unconventional and and just following what your instincts are telling you, what your gut is telling you that you're interested in. And you never know the road that it's going to take you down. And that might change down the road, but it's, it's all a journey, right? It's a journey. So you might do this and enjoy it for 10 years and then it doesn't tickle your fancy anymore and you're trying to do something else. And I think that that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think our happiness and our joy and our health, when I mean health, I mean our physical health, but I also mean our mental health and our spiritual health is really the most important thing if we want to see a long life. And I think that the way we do that successfully is by really listening to what this world is trying, what you are trying to tell yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, that's best advice ever, really. I think really pursuing joy and what makes you feel fulfilled mm-hmm. is so critical mm-hmm. to happiness, but wellness too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing you mentioned, and I forgot to ask you about this, so I'm coming back to this. You mentioned dreams just a second ago, and it made me remember, do you have a big passion project or outrageous dream that's still in the back of your mind that you have not yet done? <sighs> yes. I really want to be a mother. Oh, <laughs> oh my yeah. heart. <laughs> that got to me. Yeah. I think for me, one thing that the pandemic has really pulled into focus for me really early on, and I had been feeling like this anyway, I feel really fulfilled. I feel like I've done so many things. Like if I never performed again, I think I would be okay. I feel like I've done it all. I've danced with the best. I've danced in all kinds of spaces from the six train station to the White House to Carnegie Hall to Madison Square Garden to international stages. I've worked as a choreographer. I've worked as a soloist quite a lot and I've enjoyed it. I've worked with orchestras. I've worked with trios. I've worked with one one person. I've worked a cappella. Like I've really done it. I've been on covers of magazines. I've done, uh, you know, countless articles. I've been named this. I've been, you know, done that. And I was like, you know what? I really feel like I've contributed a lot to this form that I love so much. And I feel good about that. And I'll always be dancing. But I think what I would like more than anything in the next five to 10 years of my life is to really enjoy the simple things of living, which is like to expand my family. I feel at this moment that the one thing that I want to do the most is provide a really wonderful existence for someone else. So more than any project that I have in mind, it would be that. Oh, all right. Well, 
I am fully on board and your biggest cheerleader. <laughs> so that just makes me, it was so unexpected. That was not at all what I thought was going to come out of your mouth. And it's kind of emotionally caught me off guard. I'm not going to lie, but I think it's so lovely. I really do think it's so lovely. I always give everybody the opportunity to give a shout out to their most outrageous support or fans. Mm -hmm. So is there anybody that uh, is really, really important that you feel like you would like to just give a quick shout out to? Mm. I'm going to give a shout out to my wife, (laughs) Toria Beard. (laughs) One of, you know, many shout outs. I've never experienced such like love and, and support, personal and professional. And it's really nice to know that that you have someone who's really, truly in your mm-hmm. corner. And I, and I would also say that I have, you know, I have other people too, who always, you know, who are really supportive. And then also I would like to say that for, you know, I want to give a shout out to like everybody who has seen me perform and dance and takes the time to express their joy for that. Because it does, it helps to keep it going. It's, it's nice to know that the work that you're doing is really enriching other people's lives, even if just for a moment. And I, re- I don't know, I'm just really grateful for that. Well, I know every time that I've seen you perform, it's been a significant event for me as a, as a professional who's constantly trying to learn from other people. I always, I'm always mm-hmm. moved. Yeah, thank you. Thank you from another performer who who really greatly values everything that you have contributed to our community. Before we go Mm. away, I know a lot of my listeners are not familiar probably with you. How can they best find you Mm. online or connect with you? You know, I'm on Instagram at Iolibs. I also, my website has a contact page and and, uh, I always respond to those emails. So iodelicasell.com is another way. I would say those are the two best ways to get in touch with me, my website and Instagram. Okay. And I will make sure that there are links. We have all kinds of fabulous things we referenced today. So I will Mm -hmm. do my best to link to as many great videos and Mm -hmm. websites and all of that that I can in the show notes so that people can get a little bit more familiar with some of the great things that you have done. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. You are always welcome anytime you want to come back on the show. Thank you so much. And thank you for teaching us to live a little more outrageously. Well, outrageous friends, it has been my honor and my pleasure to have you here today. I hope that you took away some outrageous ideas for your own life. If you enjoyed yourself, make sure that you are subscribed to Live Outrageously with Lady Grey on whatever your podcast app is. You can also connect with me personally on Facebook at facebook.com slash outrageousladygrey or on Instagram at lady.grey. Also be sure to check out our podcast website at www.liveoutrageously.com. Once again, this is Lady Grey encouraging you to go out and live outrageously.